very glad that we are able to gather together this year. We're coming off of a very different year of life for many of us. Last year, this time last year, I was uh, in the, the building alone here on Easter Sunday. I was, I was speaking through a camera on the computer, doing a live stream to, to share the message of the resurrection, and it was not nearly the same as having you here together and singing together, worshiping together. So I'm so glad that this year we've had this opportunity to gather. I'm so glad that you came this morning to worship with us. If you have your Bible this morning, I'll invite you to grab that and turn to Matthew chapter 28. If you don't have a Bible with you or you want to use the one in the pew in front of you, you're welcome to grab that. Turn to page 292 if you're using one of our pew Bibles there, Matthew chapter 28. And if you do not have a Bible of your own, if you don't own one, I would love to give you a Bible today. Please, again, come see me after service. I'd love to give you that gift. Or if you want to just take that one that's in the pew there in front of you, you're welcome to. That'd be a great gift um, for you to have today. So you have the Word of God and you have access to this story that we're going to talk about today for yourself. There's nothing more important than what we're about to talk about this morning. As you turn to Matthew chapter 28, let me set us up in the text. If you weren't with us on Friday evening, we had gathered here for a special service, and we walked through the the last night of Jesus' ministry upon earth. We walked through all the events that led to him on that cross, dying as we have sung about this morning. On that dark Friday afternoon, the followers of Jesus watched him die on a cross, after enduring a night filled with betrayal and rejection and mockery and beatings and intense physical and spiritual suffering. Because it was not just the physical afflictions that Jesus went through that night that matter so much to us today. It was what Jesus did spiritually in suffering the wrath of God towards sin. Not Jesus' sin, for he had none. Jesus hung on a cross and suffered for the sins of his people. The sins of people like you and I, whose lives are marked by sinfulness, rebelling against God, doing the things he says not to do, and failing to do the things he commands us to do. Jesus hung on the cross as a sacrifice for his people. He paid the price for their sin, and he declared in his final breath, it is finished. The sacrifice that he had come to make was accomplished. He had atoned for the sins of his people. He had covered all of the sins, past, present, and future, for all of his people, past, present, and future. But the story does not end with a crucified Christ hanging on a cross. The story continues. His sacrificial work was done, but there is more to the story of Jesus. And beginning with those first four verses that I read from Matthew 28, this morning earlier in this service, we hear of the mighty power of God being displayed on the Sunday following the darkness of Friday. Matthew chapter 20, look with me at verses 1 to 4. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothing white as snow, and for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. These are not just words. This is the reality of what happened on a Sunday far, far ago. So let's let's get into this story and visualize this and see this for the moment, the amazing moment 
that it truly was. When those women that morning headed to the tomb, they fully expected to find the body of Jesus, the teacher that they had followed. They expected to find his body would be laying on a cold stone in the ground in that grave where he had been placed Friday evening. Why? Because that's what dead bodies do. They stay where they're put, right? And Jesus was certainly dead. There was no confusion about that. They had seen it happen. There was no life in his body. The Roman soldiers who were there confirmed he was dead. There was no breath. There was no heartbeat. There was no feeling in him. His was a dead body that they took down off the cross and placed in a cold stone tomb laying on a rock, this huge stone rolled in front of the entrance to that, and Roman soldiers placed there as guards to prevent anyone from getting in to disturb the body that they had just buried. So that morning, these women, when they went to the tomb, they expected to find the body of Jesus right where it had been left. They were going with sorrow and mourning in their hearts. They were hoping to just plead with the guards to let them see the body and finish preparing it for a proper burial. But to their great shock and awe, when they arrive, they're greeted by an earthquake and an angel descending from heaven, rolling the stone to the grave away. And the Roman soldiers who were staying there guarding the tomb are terrified and become like dead men before these angels. And you would be too. If a mighty angel comes down from heaven looking like bright lightning and a strong man of war, which is how angels really look according to the Bible. They're not fluffy little babies that you get from cartoons. You're talking about terrifyingly powerful angelic beings coming down, moving the stone like that, sitting atop it. The guards are frightened and terrified at this mighty display of power. And so suddenly this Sunday morning that for the women is filled with mourning and grief up to this point with despair, the weight of trying to figure out how are we going to move on with life after the loss of one we have loved so dearly. Suddenly the power of God is displayed on that Sunday morning in a way that changed everything. And to these amazed women standing there, the angel proclaims an even more amazing declaration of good news. Look at verses 5 and 6. The angel says, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Listen to those powerful words. The angel declares, Jesus is risen. You've come to a tomb to see one who's dead, but he's not here because he's not dead. The body that was buried on Friday afternoon in that cold tomb was no longer a broken, bloody mess lying there, lifeless on a cold stone. No, he had risen. He was alive, proclaims the angel. And it all happened. It all happened just as Jesus said it would. You have to understand how amazing that statement truly is. Jesus knew not only when he would die and how he would die, but he also promised he would rise again from the dead. And that's an incredible thing that normal people can't do, right? I mean, maybe a few minutes before your death, you can see it coming. Maybe in some generic term, you can think about how it is you will die. You can understand that maybe it's this sickness that will take me, and you might be right. Maybe it's an enemy you're going out to fight, and you think that's probably the end. They'll kill me there. You might get it right in some generic 
term, you might be able to see in a short way what will kill you. But to know the specifics and the certainties of what will take place, you can't do that. No one can. And nobody, even if you do get it right as to what will kill you in the future, nobody can follow that up and say, but after I die in this way at this time, well, in three days, I'm coming back to life. We can't do that. Nobody can do that. And yet Jesus does just that multiple times. In Matthew 16, 21 and 17, 23, Jesus predicts his death and his resurrection on these two distinct occasions months before any of it takes place. He's not just seeing, I think the cards are going to play out this way. Let me make a guess. He knows exactly what's going to take place months in the future. And then in Matthew 20, verses 18 and 19, weeks before he heads to the events that will kill him, Jesus says to his disciples, now, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. And there the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and they will deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Weeks ahead of time, he predicted everything that would take place, everything we read about if you were with us Friday, everything you can read about if you flip back one page, Matthew 26 and 27, read those two chapters and see everything that Jesus just said would happen back in Matthew 20 takes place just as he said it would. Jesus could do that. He could foretell the betrayal of Judas. He could tell of the rejection of the religious leaders when he stood trial before them. He could talk about the condemnation that there would be. He could talk about the mockeries he would endure. He could even predict the flogging and the crucifixion. And most amazingly, he could speak of his own resurrection on the third day because Jesus is the God who is in control of all things. He knows it perfectly, perfectly what is going to happen because he's in control of all of it. He's the one who can do all of these incredible things that you and I, that nobody else can do because he is the one who has power over all things. The power even to lay down his own life and to take it up again because he is the sovereign God over everything that exists. This is exactly who Jesus revealed himself to be in John chapter 10. He's underscoring the reality of who he is. He's explaining this to the people. He's saying, listen, I am the good shepherd. You know Psalm 23, how popular that psalm is? I'm the God of Psalm 23. And in John 10, he's explaining that to them where he tells them there, listen, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. You and I can't say that. Normal people can't say that. And if we do say that, it's certainly not true. We don't have that authority or that ability, but the angel on Easter Sunday morning is declaring Jesus did have the authority to say that. That is true. What he said would happen has taken place just as he said. Jesus is who he claimed to be and could do exactly what he said he could do. Jesus is the God who came not only to die for the sins of his people, he's the God who came to rise again and to conquer death itself. Jesus is the God who has conquered sin and death. And then notice what comes next in the text. Because this makes this really good news for us 
This message that Jesus is the God who died on Friday to conquer sin, to save his people, and then rose again by his own power is not just a message for the women who showed up that first Easter morning to marvel at and to celebrate. And good news for them, their Jesus is alive. No, the angel continues with instruction in Matthew 28. Look at verses 7 and 8. The angel speaking to the women says, So, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they, the women, departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. This text, my friends, should cause joy in you and I this morning because it means the gospel was not just something to be heard and accepted and taught to a few people nearly 2,000 years ago. The message of the gospel is a life-changing message that's meant to be shared throughout all of time. The angel tells the women not to just stand there at the empty tomb and marvel at this great truth. Go and share the message with others. That's why you and I are here today. That's why our church can gather and sing and celebrate like this today on this beautiful morning because the women hear this command from the angel and they go and they do as he said with fear and great joy. Why why those two emotions? Well, they have fear because they just met an angel. And he's the one who's said to you, listen, the one you came here to bury by his own power has risen himself from the dead. That would inspire reverent fear to hear. Just as angels are not cute little babies that our culture portrays, you also need to understand that this tells us Jesus is not what our culture says he is either. Jesus was not just a historic figure that lived a long time ago. Jesus was not just a good teacher that some people really liked. He was not just a moral man who set a nice example that you and I could choose to follow if we wanted to. Jesus is being revealed here. The angels declaring Jesus is the all-powerful God who's conquered sin and death, and that demands response from everyone. The power of the one to die and take the sins of others upon himself, pay for them, then rise from the dead saying, it's over. It's done. I've taken care of all of it. That is a terrifyingly beautiful power. Far greater power than anyone else possesses. And so if that's true of this one, then whatever he says and whatever commands he gives, they surely must be more than just suggestions and nice ideas for people to think about. If we're talking about the one who knows all things and controls all things and has the ability to raise himself from the dead and destroy the hold and power of sin entirely, then he must be worshipped and obeyed and honored in every way. Jesus is the one whose power is awe-inspiring. And we should use that language rightly. When we say Jesus is awesome, that's not just a way of saying we think he's a cool guy. We're saying Jesus should inspire awe in you and I. It should produce worship and reverence and obedience to this one who has done these incredible things that no one else can do, who has power that no one else can rival. These truths should not only produce reverent fear in people, not only give us pause to think about who we are and how we relate to the one who has such power, but for the women, it produces great joy in them as well. Why great joy? Because the one who rose from the dead is the Jesus they know and love and have followed, and most importantly, who loves them. 
And so they're resolved. They are going to go and obey the command to share the good news. And then they're given an incomparable gift that first Sunday morning. Look at verse 9. As they're leaving to go obey the command to share the news, he is risen. Behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. They came up to him and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. What an incredible gift. This whole morning has been filled with incredible gifts for these women. To experience the earth literally quake at the power of God. To see an angel descend from heaven. To see the strong Roman soldiers, the greatest military might that exists on the planet at that day, cower and become terrified like little children at the display of the power of God. To hear this angel say, hey, Jesus, he's not in here, he's alive. He has risen. And then to be told, you now have a task. Go tell others the good news about Jesus. This is all incredible, but even more incredible than all of that, these women are then given the gift of getting to see the risen Jesus himself. The all-powerful, the resurrected Son of God stands before these women and greets them, and their response is the response of everyone who understands what he has done and who he truly is should be. They fall to his feet and they worship. Understand, they worship him. They're not just thinking a few nice thoughts the way you and I might be tempted to just think a few nice thoughts about Jesus on Easter Sunday. You've come to church, you're hearing the message, wow, that's nice, that's really impressive. This guy's pretty passionate about what he's talking about, okay, and then leave and go on. That's not what they did. They didn't even just get really excited in the moment. You could get swept up in this moment and feel excited too, but their response is much more than that. It's more than nice thoughts. It's more than excitement. They worship Jesus as the risen Savior. They recognize who he is and they respond the only right way that there is to respond to God. Understand this morning, Jesus is the God for whom worship is the only proper response. It should be the response of every single one of us this morning hearing this message too. When we reflect on these events this time of year, every year, from what he went through that Thursday night, what he endured throughout Friday, to his death on that cross that afternoon, to what gloriously transpired on that Easter Sunday, these things should produce deep, overwhelming, reverent worship in us, just as it did the women on that first day. (laughs) And then notice how beautiful this is. Look at verse 10. Then Jesus said to them, to these women, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. I'm so grateful for those words. See, because the angel had told them to go, and then they see Jesus, and they fall, and they worship, and they weren't going anymore. They were there worshiping Christ. And Jesus says, no, 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 your worship isn't just to be about you and this moment. It's not just to stay right here. Worship me by going and telling others that I am alive. Go fulfill the mission. Go proclaim the good news. And they do. That's why we're here today. That's why I'm, I'm up here. I know this message to be true. It's why I can worship God in my life. It's why I understand who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. It's why I get to share that with you because they went and obeyed the command. And they give us today the opportunity to respond to the risen Savior just as they did that day to worship him here on the other side of the planet nearly 2,000 years later. Oh, it breaks my heart 
what makes this so serious is the reality that not everyone responds this way to Christ as they should. Not everyone is moved to worship of Christ when they hear of who he is and what he has done. That's true today, and it's true on that first day as well, because the text continues telling us about the guards who instead of being drawn in, after they've seen this terrifying and awesome display of God's power and this angelic visit, instead of them falling down and worshiping Jesus as they should have too, the guards run away and they fail to recognize the truth and the demands that that would make upon their lives. Look at verses 11 to 15. While the women were going, behold, some of the guards went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell his people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were sleeping. If this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the guards, they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. See, Matthew doesn't stop the story with the worship of the women or them going to fulfill the great mission. He tells us of this tragic response of the guards and the false story that they contrive. They, they witness something incredible, and you've got to deal with that in some way. So their response was to come up with some kind of explanation, some kind of reason why, no, Jesus wasn't who he claimed to be, and it doesn't mean I should follow him as he said I should. And that false story has been spread in every generation throughout history, to this very day. Look, this happened ultimately because there's only two ways to respond to Jesus and to the message of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. The first response is the response I want for each of you. It's the response of the women. It's genuine faith in Christ that leads to a submitted, transformed life of worship. But if that's not your response, then it's the second. The second is that you will disbelieve and you will reject and you will continue in your rebellious sin against Jesus and his gospel. There's no middle ground here. There is no indifferent response to this. Indifference in you today is option two. You do not believe. You are not following. You are rejecting who he is. Because if he's God and if he has the power he displayed, you should follow him. And anything other than that is rejection. Jesus is the God who deserves and demands all from us in response to who he is. Anything less than that is not enough. There is no place for half-hearted responses to Jesus. You either genuinely believe and you begin to live a life of worship, not perfect, still struggling in this world, still failing, still receiving grace over and over again, but your life is changed and you are headed towards him or you reject him in your heart no matter what your lips may say. You may walk around saying, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, and living a life of sin and rebellion against him, what's in your heart says what your response has been is not belief, it's disregard for him. If you truly believe that Jesus died on Good Friday to pay for the sins of his people, that he himself suffered the wrath of God in the place of his people, and that on Easter Sunday he rose again by his power, conquering sin, conquering death, and is alive today, ruling and reigning over all things as the living sovereign God, that has to change you. His power and his accomplished work cannot be something merely interesting to think about every once in a while. It can't be something that's just a nice add-on into your life when it's convenient. 
It can't be something you try to benefit from if you're not following him and worshiping him in your whole life. Look, it's not enough to add Jesus on as a hobby once a week. When nothing else is going on on a Sunday, then no, I'll spend some time with Jesus. And it's certainly not enough to make Jesus a two-time-a-year thing. You know, if you're only ever in church on Easter and Christmas, and today's the first time you come to church and you're not coming back to a church until December, let me say, first of all, I'm glad you're here. Really, seriously, glad you're here. I'm glad you're hearing this message. I'm glad you didn't stay outside on this beautiful, nice day. Really, you're welcome here. You're wanted here. But I love you, and I love Jesus too much to say anything other than this. You're not truly following Jesus if all you give him is two days a year. You haven't really experienced the power that we're talking about if you're content with just spending a little Jesus time twice a year. This demands so much more than that. Your life has to be changed if you believe this to be real. Jesus is the God who is the center of everything for his people. Not an add-on, not a nice idea, not an occasional thing. He's the center of it all for us. He cannot just be a part. His power, his work, his majesty, it all requires more of us if we truly believe in him. And tragically, the response of those guards that first day, the response of the religious leaders that day was disbelief and it was rejection. And that's the response of so many people today. Maybe it'll be the response of someone you in this room today. So tragic to hear how they knew of Jesus, of his power, and still chose to reject him. And for them, it was outright rejection. They just refused to believe the claim that he had risen, that he was who he said. So they, they created a story, they fabricated a lie, and they dismissed it out of hand. And if that's you, if you're holding on to something like that, then I would urge you to think deeply about if that really makes any sense. Because consider what happened in the generation that these events took place. They knew where Jesus had been laid. There was a stone. The women went to the place they knew Jesus' body was, but it wasn't there. And so these women went and told the disciples who then go and see. The tomb is empty. His body's not there. The women saw the resurrected Jesus. The disciples see the resurrected Jesus. Over 500 people see the resurrected Jesus over the next 40 days. He's alive. He's teaching. He's proving that he is God by many signs and wonders. And this group of 11 men that had been with him and betrayed him on the night of his death because they were scared what would happen if they even acknowledged they knew who Jesus was. Those 11 men are so radically changed by something, by some power, by some truth, that they, all of them, give their lives spreading the message Jesus has risen from the dead all across the known world. And so by the time those 11 men die, all of them suffering horribly in their lives, all of them being martyred, being killed for their faith, refusing to recant, except for one guy, John, who they tried to kill by boiling him alive, and when he didn't die, everyone was so freaked out that they put him on a ship and sent him off to an island to be by himself because they couldn't bear to look at the guy who still wouldn't shut up about Jesus being alive. Now, if that's what happened, do you really think they would do all of that? If they had stolen the body in the middle of the night, they wouldn't suffer like that. They would not spread the message like that. Something had to have happened to change 12, uh, 11 cowards from Good Friday into 11 men who transformed the world. 
And so if you're dismissing the message of Christ and his resurrection out of hand, thinking dead people don't come back to life, that's just crazy. Yes, that's crazy. That's why this is so amazing. Don't dismiss this. That's such a foolish thing to do. It's a tragic mistake that you are making that doesn't just have consequences for right here and now. It matters for your eternity. To reject who Jesus is means you're still on the path to hell because you have sinned. You have violated the law of God. Everyone in this room has. And apart from believing in this message, apart from receiving the forgiveness that he has obtained by his atoning sacrifice, you will pay for your own sin. Don't reject him today. Don't respond the way the guards did, the way the religious leaders did. Put your faith and trust in him and worship him as the women did, as the disciples did that day. Jesus is the God for whom worship is the only proper response. And today you have the opportunity to do that. Today you have these moments to accept the reality of who he is. And as you place your faith and your trust in him, in the truth of this message that the Bible declares to us, you can experience the resurrecting power of God, moving you from the death that your sin has wrought in your own soul to true life today. You can begin a new life of following him, no matter how messed up your past is, no matter how much rebellion and how much sin is there. He's the God who is able to forgive and change anyone. He is the God who saves. He is the one who died for his people, who rose from the dead. And now, because that's who he is, it demands, it deserves a response from each of us. So don't walk out today in unbelief. Don't walk out today indifferent and casual about this Jesus. Certainly don't walk out of here if you're just pretending to be something that you are really not. You got dressed up and you look nice, and if you're just happy that everyone saw you in church this morning, that's not nearly enough if you don't believe and follow this Jesus. If Jesus is not the center of your life, if your life is not fully set upon worshiping him, then today is your chance. These moments that are coming to you right now are your chance to repent and turn to him and respond as he deserves for you to worship him. So our team is going to come this morning. Our worship team is going to come and they're going to sing a final song for us. They're going to give us a few minutes in this place, in these moments now, to praise him for who he is and what he has done. And we'll have the lyrics on the screen behind us so you can sing along with us. You can lift your voices as well. And I want to urge you, if you came into this place and you're not a Christian, then today is the day to respond to this message in the only way that's proper is to lay your life down at the feet of the one whose power is far greater than anything anyone else possesses, whose love is far greater than any sins you may have walked in here with whose ability to forgive can cover all of the mistakes that you've ever made. Respond today by beginning a new life of worship to him. If you're not sure how to do that, if you're not sure what that would look like, if you're not sure what step you need to take, then in these next few moments, come and get me. I'll stand right here. And I would love to answer your questions. I would love to pray with you. I'd love for today to be the day where you experience the reality of the power of Jesus and who he is. And these altars are open for everybody. So if you've come in this day already knowing the conclusion of the story, already knowing the power of Jesus at work in your life, and you're just ready to respond and worship him as you lift your voice, as you pray, then you're invited to come to the front if you want. Worship him however you feel led to this morning, but worship him. 
Don't dismiss this message. Don't respond with indifference. Today, the living God who's conquered sin, who's conquered death is inviting us to come and worship him. Let's do that this morning through this last song. We thank you, God, that the power that you have is the power to not only raise the dead 2,000 years ago on the other side of the world, but the power you have is to respond right now. And Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your love that was displayed upon the cross, and we thank you for the power and the glory that was displayed through an empty tomb. And so this morning as we pray, God, we lift up needs to you, needs that are far too great for us, needs of healing, needs of, of grace, need for your mercy, your forgiveness. And today we can find all of that because you are still alive. And we thank you that we have the gift of this moment, this opportunity to pray, to lift our voices together, to lift our needs together and know that you hear us and know that you are at work in this world, even in these moments. We thank you for your great love. We thank you for your power and we worship you today for who you are and for what you have done. We've gathered in your beautiful name. We've prayed and we've sung and we've heard you speak to us. And so today we ask that you continue to let us feel your presence and your power outside of this place, in our lives, meeting our needs, whatever they may be. We thank you and we worship you, Lord Jesus. It's in your beautiful name that we pray. And everyone said, amen.